0: is Raptors game night on TSN 1050. The Raptors live here.
1: And they going to the loss column. 114-106. The Suns prevail over the Raptors. Welcome to the Raptors Post Game show. Raptors game night. Jim Taddy, Warren Ward, and Josh Lewenberg with you and Jonesy kind enough to hang around, and Jonesy, I mean, they started that third quarter with, uh, with uh, you know, really energy scoring. They went on a nice run, and, and the fourth quarter was a bit of a problem, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was, Jim, uh, and, and uh, you know, Javon made the point on the broadcast and wholeheartedly agreed. The pace changed. The Raptors looked after the ball. They didn't give it away, and they started to force Phoenix to play a little bit more up-tempo, kind of neutralized DeAndre Ayton a little bit, and and they take the lead. Uh, and then they can't keep it going. And, I look, I give Monty Williams credit for a pretty sound but basic game plan. We got a big guy, and you don't. And we're going to play screen and roll, and we're going to get the ball in the lane, and he's going to get eight, ten-footers. He's going to get jump hooks. He's going to rebound if we have any kind of penetration, and your big, quote-unquote, leaves him. To challenge, he's going to go straight to the front of the cup and, and clean up any of the stuff that has to be put back in the drain. And that was basically their game plan. Uh, I mean, they exclusively went to that, that play at the end where they got it to Aiton, dribble handoff to, to Bridges, and let's play and see what we get. So um, give them credit. But I, geez, I thought, Jim, to your point, the Raptors did a really nice job at the start of third quarter to wrestle yeah. the, the, the lead back.
3: I thought I Jonesy I thought um the Raptors were were keen on winning this game. When they when they scored 10 points in like 2 minutes yeah. and 30 seconds, you know, they had a 10 all run to start the third quarter. I was like here we go, you know, Raptors are you know going to pull this one out. But the Raptors had 16 offensive rebounds to Phoenix's 12, but every time Phoenix had one, they got a bucket out of it and that's the difference. They capitalized. And uh you know that third quarter when they had no turnovers You know, Phoenix had five, you know, and then the fourth quarter came and it's just late game execution. You know, that's 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 what you can chalk this loss up to. They had, uh, you know, Torrey, excuse me, excuse me, uh, Torrey Craig and Aiton had two back to back offensive rebounds and they both scored. And that was a difference down the stretch. So they're going to look back at this game. It wasn't a bad game by the Raptors, but they're going to look back at the game and be like, ah, these two, three mistakes cost us this win it got away right it got away it it got away from them and it it, again you know you're you're playing a team that has a very traditional big and like I said I I personally think Aiton's kind of soft I thought the Raptors did a, a pretty good job on him he's he's gonna get 22 he should he should be scoring more he should be rebounding more but I think they did a pretty good job all things considered it's just those few key possessions This one got away.
0: Yeah, they they had opportunities. We talked about it at halftime. The Raptors didn't play especially well in the first half, but they were right there because, in large part, they played hard. And I thought overall on the night, like effort wasn't the issue. I, I think if we're talking specifically about the fourth quarter, you can look at a few things. And the thing that obviously stands out is closing time. A stop or two that the Raptors needed to get that they couldn't get. A rebound or two that they needed to get that they didn't get. A shot or two. But the first few minutes of that fourth quarter stand out as well the Raptors coming off of a really big third quarter had some momentum there Phoenix starts the fourth with five reserves on the floor and and Nick Nurse goes to Scotty Barnes and four reserves not a whole lot of offense in that lineup and it's tough right because you're you're thinking back in hindsight and saying well should Fred Van Vliet have been on the floor should Pascal Siakam have been on the floor but those guys played a ton of minutes I mean Pascal Siakam. I think you could see it at stretches in stretches tonight. Looked like he was out of gas. Obviously, he had to deal with the foul trouble as well. So I don't know, but it does feel like it slipped away from them a little bit at the start of the fourth. Yeah,
2: you, you know, Josh, and you make a great point. At some point, your bench guys have to perform. Yes, and and the only question I would ask is, do you disperse and and intersperse those guys? In the second quarter in the third quarter yep. uh with some of the starters, so when they're on the floor together in the fourth quarter, they've at least been in the game, and they at least they, they got a little they got a little lather going i mean Malachi came in, I thought he did a great job, but he, he did he, he he like he didn't touch the court no. Since the warm-up, like it'd been like two hours of <laughs> yeah. two hours of regular time, that and he had only played
0: fifteen minutes over the last right. seven games, not including tonight. So yeah, I mean to come in like that and clearly not lacking confidence, got five shots up I there in say. his seven minutes, knocked down a couple of them. He so was pulling, yeah, <laughs> and, 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 good, and good for him because they needed some offense during that stretch. Good for Thad Young as well. I thought he gave them some good minutes. I agree with you, Jonesy. I, I think like you you can look at it and say okay well do you stagger the minutes of Van Vliet and Siakam how, how do you get some more offense on the floor but that's it, it's it's tough and we've been talking about this dilemma quite a bit this season it's tough on Nick Nurse when there there just aren't enough guys that you can turn to offensively off the bench especially right. with OG out and say go out there and buy the starters Four or five minutes of rest, especially in a game like this where the margins, right, like those two or three-minute stretches
3: make the
2: difference. Bench scoring 38-15 tonight, right, Warren, 38-15? You know,
3: and massive, massive, massive difference. The bench wasn't there as much today, but I'll say this. Like, I remember playing days, when you came off the bench, you got about two minutes
2: to do something. Do something. To to, to try and
3: impact the game some way so that coach gives you another two minutes. And anyone coming off the bench, that has to be your attitude, you know? What have you done for me lately? you got to sing that song in your head. So if I'm, if I'm young, Boucher, you know, um, Coloco, whoever, Flynn, I'm doing what Flynn was doing. I'm coming off the bench. I'm going to take good shots, shots within the offense, but I'm going to do something, you know what I mean, to keep me on the floor. Because it's the only way you're going to play longer minutes. As you can see compared to last game, most of the starters played a bit longer in this game you know a much much tighter rotation but at the same time you you know uh you know Josh said it Van Fleet looked like he was you know a little bit out of gas yeah. so you know you, you got to buy yourself some time with these guys mm-hmm. and and the guys on the bench they have to come out and make sure that 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 they are trying to contribute now you got to you got to give credit to Phoenix their bench is deeper they they play they play more people off the bench right they they have what eight is <laughs> Eight guys that but, they play off the bench, but they're also more than guys. five minutes. <laughs> exactly. So much deeper rotation, yeah. and as a result, you're you know you got Torrey Craig. He only plays twenty six minutes, and he's a starter, and only takes four shots, right? So you know, like that, there goes and shows the exact difference between you know these two teams. They're getting more contribution from from more people, and coach here of the Suns, he has much more of a luxury because if one guy's not you know not playing all that well he has a plethora of options to go to and it makes a difference at the end of the
0: game of the two teams which team looked like they had more gas in the tank in those last few minutes which team executed on both ends of the floor it was the team that was better rested that was able to spread out their minutes a little bit throughout the game and rely on more guys
1: you know i don't always agree with javon i'm just kidding but what he said <laughs> at the end of the game goes back me
3: either to... me either Taddy. don't <laughs> worry i know
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got good reason to. No, it goes back to what he said about the uphill climb from the start. I mean, that was that wasn't a great start, and so I, I think even when we were talking at halftime, we realized that the starters were going to carry this team tonight, yeah. and, and it's the game situation that dictates that, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, no, you're right, Jim, and and you know you get close and look, you know the guy that guy there beside your Warren can tell, sometimes a coach gets in that situation. It's like I'm going with my best. Right, I'm going exactly. with, like it's it's like the a fast. I always say this: a fastball pitcher. Hey man, if this guy's going to beat me, he's going to hit a fastball. I'm not going to yeah. throw my curveball and let him knock it out of the park. He's not beating my third best pitch. He's beating my best pitch, and a coach will do that. He's going to ride his starters in that case. So uh, that said, you know this this is a. I mean, this is basically a three minute game that Toronto couldn't hang on.
3: It, I was yeah, I was about to say you know something similar. I also think that. You know, when when you are playing a team like this, I I I would go with my best players and it comes down to trust, right? It comes down to who the coach has the most faith in and, and you know, that's that's who you ride with. I, I think having subs that come in and contribute much more, you know, that's a luxury. And that's not something that every team in the NBA has and it's not something that the Raptors have. They don't have guys that are come on the bench and that are gonna give them consistent time um you know, points and production and that are going to impact the game every single time. So, you know, I, I know the starters will do that, but uh, the bench, no, not so much. So I, th- I think, you know, the, in, the, in the Raptors case, moving forward, my hope is that they play out of playing poorly in the first quarter or they play out of, you know, having these ghost quarters. And that's, you know, that's my expectation because as the season goes on, you should learn from your mistakes right? You should learn that, okay, if we put ourselves in this situation, we are going to come up short. So I'm optimistically saying that hopefully that, that will become something of the past. So far, it hasn't, but You know, time will tell. There's still more basketball to play. No, it was the opposite game script is what we saw the other night in Portland. We talked about that before the game where
0: it's like they weren't perfect in Portland. They really, really struggled defensively in that third quarter. But what do we like about the Portland game? You start off the game strong and you close out the game strong. And it's tough. Tonight you lose three out of four quarters. You start off slow. You don't close the game well. And the, The third quarter, they were great. But you need more than that to beat a tough team like this on the road. Yeah.
1: Well, you guys mentioned the big. Uh, you know, how much of a problem is that for this team to to deal with a big from the other team?
2: Well, it, it's it's a problem because you got some bigs in your conference that you have to deal with. You know, mm-hmm. when you think t- take a look at Embiid, and he's not a classic big, but a guy like Giannis, it's um, it's it, it, it's there. It's it's an issue, and um, the Raptors are just trying to, you know, combat it by playing another way. And some nights it works, and a night like tonight when the pace is slow, and you've got to. He's not lumbering, like Warren says, but you've got a skilled big that is very comfortable around the hoop. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, as one of my old coaches used to say, at the end of the game, the quick guys get tired, but the big guys don't shrink. And Aiton <laughs> and, and, and showed us on, you know, a couple of jump hooks, offensive rebounds. Yeah. It, it, that's just the
3: advantage of being seven feet. There's always a premium. Yeah. It's a big man's game. I'll just add this quickly to that to that point. Uh, you're absolutely right, Jonesy. But I I I'd also say when the game is a little different, when you got a mastermind like Chris Paul and like I yeah I I could tell you that honestly. I think Chris Paul is playing a different game than most. You know, most other point guards. He just knows how to put people in different positions. Even the last possession of the game, uh, I think Malachi or Fred was pressing up on him, and he's pointing to the other end. Like he's not even looking at the defender in front of him. You know, he that's that's how far his mind is. You know, um, in the game, and he's you know Aiton's success is heavily determined on what Chris Paul does in ball screens, and because of that, Aiton is playing freely. He's 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 able to score because of Chris Paul. So the Raptors not having a big it hurts when you have a mastermind of a point guard and you have a big man who's also you know seven foot plus. So in a game like this, it will slow down against Philly. I think you can double team Embiid because Embiid's more of a guard. He's not. He's not going to be, you know, you know, a straight pick and pop guy, right? There's a huge, huge difference there. So, against a team like Philly, great. You know that I, th- I think they can contend against a team like Phoenix. Evidently, so if Chris Paul is 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 playing with Aiton in a ball screen, the Raptors will struggle, and we saw that today.
0: And the third guy, obviously Bridges, who had a great night. Exactly. Another great night was really good against the Raptors in Toronto back in that previous meeting. I, I mean, this is this is an interesting team, and it's funny because a lot of people talk about, a lot of people are talking about the Raptors and how they're the team to watch at the deadline. This is probably as much uh, US attention, league-wide attention as the Raptors have gotten since winning the championship, but I look at the Western Conference, and Phoenix, to me, is a really interesting team ahead of the deadline. Obviously, once Booker gets back, that's going to help a great deal, but this is a team, obviously, with with big aspirations. They want to win now. They've got some pieces, but it really does seem like they're a piece or two away from really getting over the hump in the Western Conference. So to me, they're a team to watch over the next 10 days.
3: Okay, uh, uh,
1: Jonesy, I want to thank Jonesy for hanging around. We'll step out and regroup, and then uh, more analysis on the Raptors' loss in Phoenix tonight, 114-106, Suns over the Raptors. This is Raptors Game Night on TSN 1050. Well, the road trip is now two and two, and three games left. It wraps up Sunday in Memphis, Wednesday in Utah, Friday in Houston. We'll have that Houston game for you. So we're going over the 114-106 loss to the Phoenix Suns. And Nick Nurse was asked post-game if the Raptors were tired late in the fourth quarter.
4: I don't think so. I think I think um, you're right. We were right there. I really liked it, even in one of the last timeouts. I thought we were down three with. I don't know seven to go or something and I was like I really liked the feel of the game I thought we were um, doing a lot of good things at both ends and um, and I just again I didn't think it bounced our way very good I mean we do get end up getting hurt on a on on two or three offensive rebounds down the stretch for two of them for threes and too bad I mean I, I really had a good look on one of them and there was just a collision. Like Malachi was right there for that long rebound and he he turned around and ran right into like Wayne Wright just wiped him out of the play and it bounced right to Lee and he and he and he nailed it and then the last one was the same. Really long rebound, right you know, right right out to Paul. Um and then we had a chance again. We had a pretty good look at a three to tie it right right back there. Um went goes in and out. Um so again, I think we were playing really hard, playing really well. Obviously could have done a few things and shored up the rebounding, but just didn't really bounce our way there when we really needed it to. And, and there was, again, I give them credit. They made a lot of hustle plays. You know, they, they threw in a lot of stuff that the ball was loose and tipped and knocked away. And they'd you know, scoop it up and throw in a bank shot or whatever. But they did make some big baskets down the stretch, especially Bridges, when, he, when they needed them. He made a couple pull-up jumpers to kind of keep them rolling.
3: He got a loose shot, like 50 percent, made mean, 11
1: threes. The offense seems to be really clicking along. Do you like what you're
0: seeing, start to finish tonight turnovers in the, turn to the first half? Kills, right?
4: Yeah, really uncharacteristic especially to start the game for us. I think we had 11 at the half. Like that's a game's worth for us and and again, we do a much better job in the second half there. Um I didn't I did love the way we started offensively. I thought again, obviously the turnovers. I thought we were a little stagnant. But we certainly picked that up. We started cutting in and freeing space and making a few dump offs and kick, offs, uh, kick outs, et cetera, um, after kind of a, about a six, seven minute start where I didn't think it was very good.
2: With the turnovers, I mean, it seemed you know, like they were pretty long at times, which is the same problem you get with other Yeah, times.
1: yeah. Uh, was there anything specific that
4: you saw causing? Them to... No, you know what? I just thought there was some physicality involved in in a lot of them. You know, we we were we were taking some bumps and and some lots of lots of active hands, and we just you know, you gotta you gotta get through some of that stuff, right? You can't let the bump jar the ball loose. You can't let the the, the secondary defender reach in and, and strip you. You know, even if he's getting part of your arm, you still gotta play through that, right? I I I did think it was physical. I thought we had a lot of collisions out there both ways, right? Um I thought we got it. we gotta we didn't really get our share of those collisions, right? Like there was six loose ball fouls in the second half all on us. There was a bunch of collisions, we were offensive fouls on us and you know, I and Scotty got collided in that break. You know, again, just end up turning it over, but it was it was um we needed to play through that stuff we weren't able to.
0: Offense does seem like it's coming super easily. Like you Pascal right now, if you, last few games. Anything you're concerned about, or just figure
4: bounce Well, there certainly going to see um, a lot of people, a lot of def- good defenders, and a lot of, a lot of, cra- a lot of action. You know, my, my thing is, is continue to create offense, not necessarily shots. Like, you know, play on the catch, make a quick decision. There's bodies on you. You got to get off it, right? That's my main concern. And um, uh, that will, I think, ease uh, things up for him a little bit. I just think again, he's got to make the right play. Period. I was talking to Fred about. Um... He got hit hard too, a lot. I thought on a lot of his turns, he was getting blasted. He didn't, didn't, you know, didn't get to the free throw line nearly enough. I thought because he was in there tough. Go ahead.
1: That is Nick Nurse uh, post game uh so just going over the uh the loss to the suns and warren he was uh he was okay with how they finished uh he didn't mention and nobody asked him from what we heard there but that creative inbounds i think with 30 <laughs> seconds left it caught everybody i, I think everybody just froze
3: <laughs> yeah no I, I personally have not seen that before but it is legal i mean he he jumped in the air and you're allowed to move and run the sideline so um the ball was out of his hands before he landed on the floor. So. Um, that is legal, um, and you know it was a. Uh, as you can tell, Taddy, Taddy he was kind of falling out of bounds anyway. So, or yeah. falling in bounds, excuse me. So, um, yeah, yeah it was, that was that was an interesting one. I, I do want to pay attention to two things Nick Nurse said, and I, I find um, the the six loose ball fouls is very true. I mean, they they uh, they they didn't have any of those calls, and those fifty fifty calls, those usually. Mm-hmm you know, dictate, you know, a win or a loss. And the, and the second thing was you got to be stronger with the basketball. And he's absolutely right. I mean, the, you, know, you know, when the secondary defender um, is reaching in, you got to be stronger with the ball. And at this level, these players are used to that. You know, they do it themselves. So you just, you know, those, those two things are the two key things I took from that. Pascal Siakam, another interesting point that came up there is that he
0: he has been struggling a, a little bit, at least by his standards anyway, over the last few weeks. And it's interesting, of course, because we know the workload that Siakam has carried this season, not just this season. I mean, he led the league in minutes per game last season. He's leading the league again in minutes per, per game this season. And the Raptors ask a lot. Of him. They need a lot from him in order to win games. I'm having a hard time faulting him here. I mean, obviously, as I said, they need big nights from him in order to win, but. You can sort of. It looks like he's running out of gas. It's probably because he's running out of gas. I mean, the All Star break can't come soon enough. For for it's sort of reminding me of Fred Van VanVleet last year in terms of how the season went went down for him. So you just hope that he, he's healthy, that he's finding ways even on off days to manage his body and, and to to get that rest because he he's going to be really important for this team as long as they continue to push forward and try to squeeze into the play. Offs, or maybe the play in, they need him.
3: The, the, I'll say this real quick. The the only reason why I didn't address that, I did, I did, I did hear what the reporter asked. I don't think we can say that Pascal Siakam's playing poorly. And I know that's not what you said, but you have to look at someone's like totality as a basketball player. When Pascal Siakam's on the floor, regardless if he's scoring or not, of course, he makes the game so much easier for everyone else. Yep. And defenses in the NBA are going to adjust. So, When a reporter asks a question like that, I think it's dumb because he's not playing poorly. He's just not making shots. No, but I also don't think Eric Eric Kareem of The Athletic,
0: I don't think he used the words playing poorly. I mean, his numbers are down. His shooting numbers are down. You're right. right. Like as long as and, and and the same goes. And I was saying the same thing. We were all saying the same thing about Fred Van Vliet early in the season, where just if he, just because he's not shooting the ball well or he's not scoring as much as he usually does doesn't mean he's playing poorly. But at right. the same time,
3: the the Raptors need Pascal Siakam. to 100 percent agree with you. 100 exactly. Yeah, he does. He if he doesn't score, they will not win. But when the question gets framed as though he's playing like oh you know um, he's going to get back on track that insinuates that he's off track. And what I'm saying is, when someone is not scoring, well, defenses are are keying in. The guy will score 50 if you don't, right? So he's He's that good that just him being on the floor he's going to score anyway. I think it's now Nick Nurse's job the same way he did with Scotty. You got to f- put him in better positions to be more effective so he can't be double teamed. I hundred percent agree with you he does need to score i just I just wanted to clarify for sure the difference because there is a difference in in terminology when you say that. You know what I mean
0: no, of yeah, course i I don't think anyone's suggesting that he's playing poorly, yeah.
1: And I don't think anybody's going to be really hard on the Raptors for this loss, just because no. it's it's Game Four of the seven-game road trip. Uh, the contrast is the energy and the, I guess the fun they had beating Portland on Saturday, and and you, again the you know the energy drain that that tonight's game was. Having said that, you know you know the Portland game is uh, just a remarkable feat based on the fact that they played in Golden State the night before. So you're going to pay for that. I think that's the best way to sum this up.
3: Definitely. You're, you're, you're eventually going to have some sort of drop-off. And, you know, we, me probably me and Josh, we probably get really excited when the Raptors start playing well. And we think, you know, they're probably going to go the entire year without losing another game. But that is just <laughs> unrealistic, right? So, um, you know, I, I think, honestly, collectively, we're probably on the same page, on a, you know, on a lot of different things and um, our opinions. But this team has had its ups and downs, and, you know, we're going to, you know, call it as we see it, essentially. It's funny. I've sort of cringed
0: recently every time anyone sort of – we're at the point of the season where a lot of people want to turn each game into like a referendum of the team or of (laughs) the season. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard recently. This has really been on my mind. I can't tell you how many times I've heard recently, including from – Brian Winhorst, who I, I really like, before the game we played this clip of people saying, "Oh, well, this this trip is going to make or break them. Yeah. It's going to determine what <laughs> they do at the deadline." It's like, no, wait, wait a minute. We've seen more than fifty games from this team at this point, and at this point, they sort of are you are what you are at this point in the season, and mm-hmm. the way that the road trip is playing out is sort of the way the season is played out, right? Yep. Like there are ups, there are there are downs, there's inconsistency. Um, you, you look good some moments, you don't look great other moments, and that's sort of what this team has been. So, no, I I mean, the the trade deadline, it's it's creeping up, and that's obviously a hot topic conversation right now. I I don't expect the Raptors to, let's put it this way, I don't expect the Raptors to do anything before February 9th. They're not going to make a decision until they absolutely have to. And in that sense, every day and every game that goes by, could theoretically influence the thinking to some degree. But these are big decisions that have to be made over the next 10 days that will have far-reaching implications on the future of this team for years to come well beyond this season and these are smart people in charge Messiah Jerry Bobby Webster and company they're not making these big franchise altering decisions on a whim based on something they see in one game or two games or in this case a seven game road trip they've had a long time to evaluate they've I'm sure prepared for a lot of different scenarios here. So, no, I don't think that a win or a loss here or there at this point in the season is going to change things. What it's ultimately going to come down to, I think, is the market. What is out there? What's available to them? What offers are, are available to them on February 9th? So, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks in terms of uh, this franchise and where it's headed coming up. Most definitely.
3: Man. Well, I th- Sorry, go ahead, Tapman.
1: No, I was just gonna say. Look, there's three games left. I mean, I, I think we could paint a picture quite uh, objectively that they would be four and three in this road trip. Well, what does that tell you? Does it, does it? Does it? Does it change the narrative? I don't think it changes it at no. all.
3: No, I think the Raptors are who they are. Just like Josh said, I think I think we're yeah. we are a team that if we go if we go play six games, the Raptors will probably win three and lose three. Yep, that's 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 who they are. But I do not. I, I agree with Josh when he says I don't think changing something right now. I think you can get that same player, if not better, in the offseason. Changing something right now doesn't make sense because you have to pick a direction. This isn't going to be a player thing. This is a directional thing. Are we going to build around right. the youth or are we going to add experience to, you know, to, know, to know like what's already here and how far is that going to get us as a team? And is that player going to come in here right now and mesh with you know what we have? You know, I was talking to a friend about this and I was literally saying if you were to get rid of like a guy like Freddy for example, well Fred does so many things outside of just the game of basketball. Like there's a culture here in Toronto. If you come to this team, you need to play a certain way. You you know, you get rid of a guy like Fred, well that goes out the window because yeah. he's the captain of the team. So, you know what I mean? It's like there's so many things that you're paying a guy for. The the value that that Fred has or Pascal has or Scotty has it outweighs someone, you know. I, I think it outweighs changing anything right now. I think th- I think they're good as they are. They can get better, and I, I'll bank on them being more consistent than I would someone coming in and fixing all these problems. Well, we know that the Raptors prefer
0: to do their heavy lifting in the offseason. I mean, Ujiri and Webster are both on the record as saying the offseason is where they like to make their big moves, and I think most teams feel that way as well. And I've also heard, I mean, listen, Masai feels very strongly about this core that he built, as he should. He he built it. They've developed it over time, and he believes in this group. So I think he'd be very reluctant to break Apart, But with that said, and this is why this deadline for the Raptors is more interesting than maybe any deadline I can remember, is the free agency situation, specifically with Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., who can opt out of their deals and probably will. The Raptors organization isn't deep enough to afford letting either of those guys walk away for nothing. So while officially they don't have to make a decision on whether or not to sign those guys until late June, early July, unofficially, they're essentially making that decision over the next 10 days because, I mean, I think a big part of the evaluation process right now is projecting what their markets are going to look like in free agency over the summer, what they're going to be looking for in terms of dollar figure, but also what's a realistic number based on the teams (laughs) out there that could be interested and, and what ultimately those teams have to spend. And then the Raptors have to decide, are they able to, can they justify keeping those guys at that cost given all the financial obligations that are are coming up over the coming years? So if either or both of those guys are traded next week, it's going to be because the answer to that question was no, but Mm -hmm. if they're still here uh, on February 10th... it likely means that it's because those guys are long-term pieces of the core. So that's why this is a really interesting time here is they've got to make a decision on those guys and their future with this team and, and whether or not you're able to keep them at what they're going to end up costing. I think they're both here. I think, I think one of them's here. On February Ooh. 10th. Oh. oh. Well,
1: you know, and, and, you know, but it's a live auction, right? So, you know, somebody may throw something at you you weren't expecting, and you have to do what you have to do.
0: What, what's tough with the Gary Trent... Jr. situation, and I really like him as a player, I know the Raptors really like him as a player, but again, you're looking at everything else you have too in the contracts that are coming up, Van Vliet, assuming you keep him, how much he's going to make this year, then Pascal Siakam is eligible for contract extension Precious Achua over the summer is eligible for an extension, then OG, then eventually Scotty Barnes, so assuming, and let's look at the offensive hierarchy here, and assuming that Trent is your 5th guy, maybe your 6th guy, depending on how you feel about a precious long-term, he's going to make a lot of money this year. Gary Trent, when you look at his, one, his age, and two, his skill set, yep. what he brings, it's a highly coveted Ability that he has to score and to shoot at his position to also play really energetic and active defense. He, he's going to be a hot commodity over the summer. We're probably talking about a deal north of $100 million. The Raptors are, are not. They're a team that's shown they're willing to spend into the luxury tax, but for a championship contending team, which this is right. not. So I think it just might come down to dollars and cents and whether or not they can, as I said, justify spending over $100 million on Gary Trent Jr. And if the Answer is no. As uh, again, they might not want to do it, but if the answer to that question is no, you've got to get something for a player like that. He's too good and too important to let walk
3: away for nothing. I have a solution Gentlemen, to I'm it. Good. I I think we just oh. cut Jonesy and Javon's contract, and we'll, and we, we'll be able to resign everybody. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to save some, here, some money here. hundred
2: million dollars, Jonesy. <laughs> I,
0: I, I'm going to take you guys some of their-, their
3: money.
2: Hey, Take the rest hey, of the night off. We'll save a couple hey, of shekels if, that way. If I was making 100000000 million, we'd all be wearing tuxedos, okay? Jonesy's <laughs> deal doesn't count against the cap, though. So it's all not. right. This is Raptors we Game Night at rice. TSN
1: 1050. <laughs>